0: Listener supported, WNYC Studios. This is Brian Lehrer's Daily Politics Podcast from WNYC Studios. It's Thursday, August 24th. I'm WNYC reporter Nancy Solomon, filling in for Brian today. Last night was the first official debate among the qualifying Republicans running for president. There were eight candidates on the stage, but not President Trump, who is enjoying formidable leads in early, really early polls. Did anyone stand out in a good way or a bad way? Who defended Trump and who attacked him? Did actual policies come up? And joining us to give us, her take on those questions and what it all might mean for the 2024 race going forward is Lisa Lehrer, national political correspondent for The New York Times, who was part of the crew at The Times live chatting the debate last night. Lisa, welcome back to WNYC. Thanks for having me. So as everyone knows, Donald Trump has big leads in most of these early polls and seems to have decided he had more to lose by showing up. The moderator, Brett Baer, called him the elephant not in the room. But Mm -hmm. that was in the second hour of the debate. Were you expecting him to come up more than he did?
1: Yeah, I think most people watching this debate, and certainly people who have been watching this primary race for the past past few months, expected Donald Trump to be a central figure uh, from the early stages of this debate. It makes sense. He's leading in the early states and in national polls by double-digit margins. He maintains this really strong grip on his party. In our polling a couple of weeks ago, we had a slight majority, I think a little over 50% of voters who said they weren't even really considering an alternative to Donald Trump. And certainly, uh, his the sort of drumbeat of his legal peril, his indictments, particularly the two most recent ones, which really center on his efforts to um, overturn the election, have been a dominant theme for the country and particularly for this race. So it was really surprising that the moderators and the candidates themselves didn't really turn to the former president until, by my count, about 57 minutes in. Yeah, it was surprising. Um, And, I mean, do you want to (laughs) venture a guess at why that is? Well... Look, I think it's Donald Trump. It's very difficult for the people running against him to attack him. It's sort of a difficult tactically, other than perhaps former governor, uh, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who's really made a central focus of his campaign, undermining Donald Trump and moving the party into a post-Trump era. For the remainder, the other seven people up there last night, you know, the problem is if they go after Donald Trump, In the wrong way, or perhaps in too aggressive of a way, they risk alienating large swaths of their base, which still love the former president and see him not only as uh, perhaps the best president the country has ever had, but also as a persecutive figure who's under these political attacks from Biden's Justice Department. Uh, So that's part of it. It's hard for them to attack them, attack the former president without alienating voters that they need. I also wonder if there was something going on at Fox News where obviously their ratings would be better if Donald Trump was in uh, was in the debate. We know that people still are fascinated by him and Americans love to love him or hate him, whatever the case may be. So I did wonder whether the moderators in the network were trying to also send a message that if he skips the debate, Um, they're not going to reward that by making him the center of attention. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, so he did try to uh, maintain attention on himself with some counter-programming with a pre-recorded interview with Tucker Carlson that aired during part
1: of the debate. Uh, Any surprises there? Well, I think how little that interview had an impact on the main narrative of the night really was a surprise. Those kinds of maneuvers by former President Trump in the past have been very successful at grabbing media attention. In this case, it really felt like something that was happening in a galaxy far, far away somewhere. It didn't feel super connected to what was happening in the debate. And part of that, of course, was because it was pre-taped, so it couldn't be connected to whatever was happening in the debate. Um, You know, but this this lack of attention on the former president is likely to be short-lived. We're expecting sometime later today, for him to show up in a courthouse in Atlanta to turn himself in in the latest uh, indictment case or latest his latest criminal case. So, you know, the media media's a focus will certainly uh, turn to that in a large capacity very soon.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about the actual debate and uh, who was <laughs> there. Um, you know, I have to say, I still, after these many years, find it shocking how conservative the entire field of candidates is. I mean, you know, it's it's not that different from t- 2020, well, 2016. Uh, but like, for example, the debate about border security was in between the Republican candidates was about whether or not refugees should be shot by army, you know, by the army at the border. And so I just, I sat there wondering... Do they really believe these things or are they pandering to the most extreme elements in the party or or
1: both? Well, look, I think part of the impact of Donald Trump's four years in office is that both parties really grew and the country as a whole grew significantly more polarized and that sort of I I do think you know republicans have grown more conservative on some issues but not on others right on federal spending which really opened um the debate with a long discussion about sort of returning the country to more fiscal discipline that was a repudiation of a lot of what the trump administration had done which was to expand federal spending in a way that traditional republicans haven't you know traditionally republicans haven't supported i also think you've seen a democratic party that's moved um you know, where policies that once would have been anathema have entered a little bit more of the mainstream of that party as well. But I I wonder if part of what you're sensing there is a question about how this all plays in a general election, that these mm-hmm. debates, which, of course, primary debates always sort of tack to the left or the right, depending on the party that's having them. And then those candidates have to tack back to the middle in some form uh, in a general election and how... Um, these candidates tack back from those kinds of statements. Perhaps, maybe part of what you're wondering about and feeling there. Yeah, although in 2016, Donald Trump
0: did not tack back to the center. Um, I, I think it's fair to say. So maybe, maybe right. we're not going to see that among whoever is the Republican nominee.
1: We may not see that, but what we've seen in every election since 2016. Is that that strategy that he used successfully then, which was essentially marshalling the forces of the conservative base and getting more Republicans to turn out, has not worked, right? That that um, more moderate swing voters, particularly in the suburbs, which are really crucial areas in a lot of these swing states, have re- repudiated him in some form, uh, both in those midterm elections and, of course, in 2020.
0: Yeah. So given that this was probably the first time most folks, at least those that don't live in Iowa, have gotten to see these candidates, um, let's go through them one by one um, and talk about what they needed to accomplish and how they did. So starting with Ron DeSantis, um, he was seen as the guy to beat, um, that he comes in second in most of the polls. He dodged a few questions, uh, but here he is answering one on how he would fight crime. These hollowed out cities, this is a symptom of America's decline. And one of the biggest reasons is because you have George Soros funding these radical left-wing district attorneys. They get into office and they say they're not going to prosecute crimes. They disagree with the inmates start running the asylum. There's one guy in this entire country that's ever done anything about that. Me. He went on to cite his firing of elected D.A.s who were too left wing and said his administration would go after all of these people. How do you think he did overall?
1: Well, look, I I think his mission in this debate was to claim the place that he has been sort of positioning himself for and has been positioned for by, you know, people who are looking for an alternative to Donald Trump, which is that he would be the chief challenger to, to Donald Trump, that many Republicans think the only way to defeat Donald Trump in this primary is for everyone who is against him to r- rally around one candidate. A divided field, which is what we have now, uh, benefits Trump because it splits the opposition vote against him. So a lot of Republicans who would like to see the party move beyond Trump were really hoping that Ron DeSantis would be able to do that. And in his dream scenario uh, for this debate, he would have emerged as the chief challenger the clear alternative to trump and you know the republican party could have come behind him and he could have maybe mounted a fierce challenge to trump that did not happen tonight he had some good moments he certainly didn't have any major missteps he lives to fight another day but i don't think anyone's wa- who watched that debate is coming out of it saying okay this is the guy and it, this is the, you know the main opponent to trump so he fell short of that mission but you know, it's possible he's had a couple really bad weeks where he's been sort of having a series of staff ch- shakeups, and donors have been airing all their anxieties in the media, which is never a good sign for a political campaign. He may have arrested some of that sort of downward spiral, but I don't think it quite elevated uh, Governor DeSantis to the place that many of his supporters were hoping it would. Well, and he also, you know, he had that... Uh the debate prep document
0: that uh, your fellow reporters at the New York Times found buried on a website. um, And he was advised to, quote, attack Biden in the media, hammer Ramaswamy, defend Trump, and my personal favorite, be (laughs)
1: likable. Did did he stick to his script, do you think? You you don't think that works when someone tells you to be (laughs) likable? You're magically likable? I I saw him trying. I saw him trying. I mean, that was really a tough break for him ahead of the debate, because basically it boxed him in. If he did any of those attacks, which let's be clear, they were not like the most innovative things. That's pretty obvious advice that one should try to be likable when you're running for president. Um, but if he did any of those things, he would be able to be attacked as a phony. Um, and that happened during this debate. So he he sort of was boxed in between what he needed to do and what his uh Advisors at the super PAC had told the world he or ended up telling the world he needed to do. And, you know, that sort of left him in a really tough position. Yeah. So Vivek
0: Ramaswamy made an impression. Uh, he's a 38-year-old candidate vying for second place with Ron DeSantis. He was expected to make his case as the next-gen Trump, who he called the best president of the 21st century, Um, He did get booed with his answer on climate change. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The first part of that answer didn't win him any friends. Friends on the stage, I'm not sure they were disagreeing with the hoax part. I think they were disagreeing with the bought and sold part. But uh,
1: so, what was his goal last night, and how did he do? His goal was to uh, tell Republican voters that he was a person who was running for president, and he existed, and he was a contender in this race. I this is not someone anyone had ever really heard of. You know, maybe. Voters have probably heard of Governor Ron DeSantis. Maybe they've heard of a Nikki Haley or Tim Scott, certainly Mike Pence. Not a lot of voters had heard of Vivek Ramaswamy. So he had to sort of make a name for himself. He's been having a little bit of a rise in the polls. So he's trying to ride that wave. And really, his approach was to be as aggressive as possible and try to make headlines and insert himself uh, into the center of many of these exchanges. He did do that. He took a really aggressive approach and many of the um, his rivals really spent a lot of time just sort of slapping him down. I think he was called a uh, fake and a uh, amateur, and uh, he was at one point. I think Chris Christie compared him to Chat G, uh, Chat uh, GBT. Um So he definitely got a lot of attention, which was part of, I think, part of his goal in this debate. You know, it's interesting if he emerges as the guy that. Uh, people sort of know coming out of this or the person who made an an impression, it doesn't really pose all that much of a threat to Trump, of course, because he has really modeled himself in the image of Donald Trump, which leads to the obvious question, uh, why would Republican voters choose this guy instead of um, a former president that Vivek Ramaswamy himself described as the best president in the 21st century? So, you know, if he's presenting them with an alternative of Trump or younger Trump, you do sort of think and certainly the polling indicates that Republican voters would sort of prefer the original to New Coke.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of wondered about that and thought, well, I guess he's sort of waiting in the wings if for any re- for any of the various reasons that could happen, that Trump isn't on the ballot, that then he becomes the heir to the throne. Sure.
1: And look, I mean, he's certainly running for president. Um But people run for president for a lot of different reasons. And um, the only reason is not always actually becoming president. There's a lot of benefits that can come from getting that kind of notoriety or fame, uh, you know, particularly if you want a political position later or if you want to cut a deal with whoever becomes the eventual nominee or, you know, he is running for president. You would assume he wants to be president, but there can be other benefits to a successful primary campaign. We have Mike in Jersey City on the line. Good morning, Mike.
0: Good morning. Um, yeah, I, uh, frankly, if an angel appeared to me and said, do you want me to make Trump president again? I'd say absolutely, because I thought he was terrific. But I'm a DeSantis guy, because I, I doubt that Joe's going to run, and I doubt that Trump could beat anybody else. Um, what I wanted to call in about, though, and I, I, maybe it's because you're going one at a time through the group, I thought that, I mean, the Santas survived. He didn't hurt himself. Ravis, Ravislami came in too hot. He's not good on TV, and I think he's, he hurt himself. Uh, the person I thought really stood out was Nikki Haley, and I was really surprised. She was strong. She was forceful. She was very, very practical, and I, I thought she, she was, if anybody won that debate last night, it was her. Uh, interesting, Mike. Well, I have Nikki Haley next on my list. So um, you know, let's let's talk about her. We have a clip of tape. Um, she you know, she's been running longer than most of the others. She jumped in early along with Donald Trump, uh, but she hasn't seemed to get the kind of traction, Mike, that you're talking about. Uh, but maybe she did herself a lot of favors last night. Um, here's her answer on the economy.
1: You have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. And so at the end of the day, you look at the 2024 budget, Republicans asked for $7.4 billion in earmarks. Democrats asked for $2.8 billion. So you tell me who are the big spenders. I think it's time for an accountant in the White House. So,
0: Lisa, uh, what do you think about what Mike said, that he he liked Nikki Haley and he's a Trump supporter. So um, what do you do you think she did herself a lot of favors last night?
1: Oh, I think she definitely did herself a lot of favors. You know, she has been in the race, excuse me, as you point out, the longest since February or so and really has not gotten any traction. She's uh, certainly struggled in the polls. She hasn't had the most success raising money. And this, I think, will really help her. And part of – she did a couple things that I thought were really interesting. First of all, she really positioned herself as the adult in the room. When all the guys were sort of fighting over this or that, she would step in and say, okay, guys, here's my policy for X, Y, and Z. Uh, She did that on climate in a way that was pretty effective. Um, She also – used her gender in ways that I thought were interesting. She when she did broke into that sort of back and forth on climate, she uh, paraphrased Margaret Thatcher and basically said, if you want something said, ask a man, if you want something done, ask a woman and then jumped into her answer, which was sort of a nice way to cast her gender as a really as a strength in a field where it certainly makes her unique right now. She also um, referenced it when she talked about abortion, which I think, I know you were—you you said you were really interested in that exchange with Mike Pence. I thought that the sort of extended exchange about abortion rights was perhaps the most interesting, um, one of the most interesting moments of the evening. And what Nikki Haley did there was she mentioned her st- struggles with her own pregnancies, which certainly is not something any of the other people could talk about in the same yep. kind of, with the same kind of potency. And she also really um, sort of took a different position. She she said that the country needs to find some kind of consensus, needs to rally around some kind of common sense middle positions, needs to stop demonizing women. And that is that are the kind of positions that could be more viable in a general election than, say, a six-week ban or a federal ban, which we know from polling the majority of Americans don't approve of.
0: So the the other sort of, I guess you could call him the most other anti-Trump candidate I thought was Asa Hutchinson. Um, you wrote in your preview of the debra- debate that
1: his goal was to be not boring. Uh, <laughs> do you think he managed that? I just don't think he was that much of a presence on the debate. You know, both he and uh, Governor Doug Burgum really had to sort of tell Americans who they were. Uh, introduce themselves to America. They're not quite as well known as these other figures. That's always harder to do from the wings of these stages. And, you know, I'm not sure that either one of them really moved the needle significantly for their candidacies. Yeah. I mean, he did. He did go
0: the furthest in suggesting that Trump is unfit for office here. We have uh, we'll play that clip. There's an important issue we as a party have to face. And Wolver, a year ago, I said that Donald Trump was morally disqualified from being president again as a result of what happened on January 6th. More people are understanding the importance of that, including conservative legal scholars who says he may be disqualified under the 14th Amendment from being president again. <laughs> Did that basically just end Hutchinson's
1: campaign among Republicans I mean, it's not a popular position among a Republican primary electorate. The place where uh, potentially these candidates can get more traction against Donald Trump is or they've tried to right? is when they talk about electability and sort of the chaos and polarization of Trump's time in office and not wanting to return to that concerns that Trump couldn't win. Independent voters sometimes break through the idea that Trump is morally bankrupt is not really something that a. Bulk of Republican voters are going to rally behind. Most of the people who believe that are just not voting in a Republican primary. Right, right. All right, let's go back
0: to the phones. We have Carl on Staten Island. Good morning, Carl. Good morning. Good morning. Actually, I have a two-part question for you. The first part is, how does the Republican National Committee have the gall to tell people that um, that they should put party over country? And secondly, what are the ramifications for Hutchinson, by for not having um, said he would support that person whose name I don't like to mention? Let me ask you a question, Carl. Uh, um, are are you a Republican voter, or do you tend to vote Democrat? I'm an independent voter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a I was a Republican voter most of my life. I'm now an independent who generally tends to vote Democratic. OK. Lisa, do you want to respond to Carl? Look,
1: this is something that the Republican Party has done in recent cycles. In part, it's because they're worried about some kind of independent candidacy, gaining steam. Those kinds of candidacies can be damaging at the margins uh, for Republicans or Democrats. And the margins are what matter in our presidential elections. So that's part of why that pledge is, uh, has been created. Uh, It's not clear what the consequences are. Um, Donald Trump has also resisted signing that. And, you know, it's hard to see that the party wouldn't back him. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how this all plays out. I'm afraid
0: we're going to have to leave it there for now. My apologies to Tim Scott and Doug Burgum. We didn't get to them, uh, but there were just too many candidates to plow through. And thank you so much, Lisa Lair, national political correspondent for The New York Times. It was great to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me.